Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you? Did Great. you get your bailout over the weekend? <laughs> I, I went and checked the mail two or three times. But one day was Sunday, and they don't deliver mail. Oh, so that's what it it'll is. all come. It'll come. It'll all come <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> so anyway, the bailouts are always available to everybody. I saw something uh, today about France, you know, and they're leaders of liberty. And, oh, yeah. But you know what? The, 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 the uh, prime minister there is a little goofy. And I think he sort of leans left, <laughs> but he came out and he wanted he wanted to save their social security business. So he wanted to have retirement age at 64 instead of 62. Mm. And the people are totally hysterical. <laughs> I mean, I mean, economically speaking, you could make a case for it. What else are you going to do? You don't have the money that, yeah. you know, I think Reagan did that in the 80s. They changed the dates a little bit. But I thought that, that is, I mean, but to me, well, it meant how are how are we in this country going to react if you even made any attempt to cut anything that made a lot of sense <clears throat> they'd rather bet on the government uh, printing up the money yep. but uh, you know there's a trouble with our banks I guess you know about that and uh, we've been reassured though FDIC said they can handle no it no problem and then uh, JP Morgan uh, Jamie Dimon he said, and he's involved. Of course, he bought out. He bought out the leftovers <laughs> for uh, First Republic, and he said the system is very, very sound. Don't oh, sweat it. You know, he didn't great. say don't sweat it. <laughs> but uh, so, people are supposed to be reassured. But this is a big deal, and it's a lot of money. Wow. Uh, and um, it's interesting. It's so mixed up because uh, they're they're going to get a lot of money from the Federal Reserve, uh, the FDIC, and the loan is uh, for fifty billion, hmm. and uh, it's fixed interest for five years. They never have to worry about interest rates going up. Wow. And I don't know what the final interest rate was, but it, but it's better than what uh, somebody would get for a housing loan. And uh, and another thing I learned about looking at this, uh, they they also um, you, you know first uh, Republic lost a hundred billion dollars over the uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. You know they they had deposits in there, and you know it's just massive. And look look how much they put into Sil uh, Silicon Valley. But Jamie May uh, Diamond, uh, he he's a good uh, money man. I don't know yeah. about. Uh, businessman but uh, he he's in the middle of that and uh, it's, it's just utter, utterly amazing how much money is flowing around and uh, then they wonder why people are starting to lose a, a little bit of confidence about the dollar and the gold prices keep wanting to go up and people are concerned but I think that this is a typical example of what happens. Banks get into trouble. The, uh, the, the uh, uh, pe people know there's something wrong. And everybody, not everybody, most people realize the big guys are going to get bailed out. And this is their big effort. Uh, that's why they exist. And uh, there, there, will be, uh, there will be some losses 
But, you know, even in the midst of all this shenanigans, uh, the J.P. Morgan uh, returned uh, $10.6 billion, you know, in the midst of all this deficit. But it's the money that they gave them to them one hand, and it makes the paperwork look good. Oh, well, uh, we're clean now. We don't owe the FDIC any money. But except uh, we're going to borrow $50 billion to help help pay the bills. So this this is, to me, astounding, but not a surprising. That's the way the system was built, and they 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 bail out the big guys, and which means a lot. I mean, it's not it's just not your little local banker uh-huh. that gets the bailout. They usually don't, but they they uh, they bail out the big guys. I got to thinking, they get the money, they get the bailouts. Eventually, they'll get hit, and some of them do. But the people who pay for this are the people who will suffer the consequence of printing all this money out. They don't have any money in that bank. You know, there's no money there. So, uh, but, uh, you know, with a printing press, you know, this also gets to me a bit because they're, they're balancing the budget and they're working hard to try to cut a little bit of spending and all, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, they, 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 they do all this. Are they getting a daily authorization by the Congress? to do this oh but the law says you can do this all of a sudden the law says you can do anything you want and and print money but who pays the little guy because what they're doing here it was caused by inflation and malinvestment and debt and manipulation of interest rates and they're just adding to the fuel and guess what the middle class and the poor are going to uh, suffer the most I used to think that maybe the poor have it well off at least they don't have to pay income tax but they pay the inflation tax oh, yeah. percentage-wise. They're the ones who really suffer. So guess what? I, if I were in Congress, uh, and I am not thinking about going to get there again, <laughs> you better be careful but I, I would, I would vote against the bailouts <laughs> and, and try once again and at least make the point the best we can. Even today, sound money would have solved this problem and prevented it. But we gave up on uh, on that for a long time ago. The big uh, desertion. Uh, this, uh, was uh, in 1971 yeah. when we said we owe nothing, we're bankrupt, and yet the world still still believes in it. You know, with all this mess, you'd think maybe the stock market would go down or something like that. But there, the people say, well, as long as I get my check uh, and I'll complain to my congressman, just raise, <laughs> raise my payments. Yeah. And if we have uh, another COVID, we know how to pass out money real quick. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't follow this as closely as you do by a long shot, Dr. Paul. So when I look at it, it's from a very different perspective. I don't have the experience. But when I'm looking at it, I see, now I remember Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And I know that, uh, that you know, they took a big hit when this collapsed. First Republic took a big hit, as you say, $100 billion. That's not chump change. But so now all of a sudden, over the weekend, I see the J.P. Morgan snaps up First Republic. What happened? I mean, how did how does that work? I mean, <laughs> it's mysterious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, the details are meant not to be very clear. Uh-huh. It's sort of uh, we could work out the details on what they did hour to hour and what they did with uh, maybe forcing some international banks to come to the rescue. And and that's why. Guess what? They're mostly opposed to my effort to audit the Fed. Yeah, I wonder and, why. And, and yet there's. When you present the case for audit and the Fed to keep up with all this, uh, the uh, the people uh, 
you, you know, have gone along with me. I think on one of those votes we had uh, for our defense, every Republican, a lot of Democrats voted to at yeah. least tra have transparency. Uh, but uh, I, I guess if push came to shove and that you, you, you uh, couldn't print money, uh, then there'd be a little hollering and screaming about it. So anyway, I think this is a big issue. It's going to be more inflation. The bank system, uh, I don't want to argue with a guy that's as smart as, uh, as uh, J uh, J Jamie Mann, uh, my, yeah. Jamie, because he, he's smart and makes a lot of money. And he's an insider and he's going to get by. But he says everything is okay. Very, very sound. I would say, Jamie, I don't quite believe yeah. that. <laughs> I was going to ask you, because the other thing you said is, this is nothing like 08 or 09. Does that, do you think he's right about that? Well, or? not exactly, but 08 and 09 caused all this. Uh -huh. <laughs> because uh, 08 and 09 is when they said, we got to do whatever is effort. And the interest rate took them way down, and they had negative interest rates, while at the same time their position was, our goal is to destroy the money at a 2% rate, <laughs> uh, measured by CPI. So, no, it, it ushered in the age, and people wanted to clear it up. <clears throat> then they dug such a deep hole, they couldn't get out of it. So, 2008 uh, started this, caused all the mail investment. A lot of money was borrowed at 0%. And these cri crises that are occurring right now are the fact that interest rates have gone up. Even the, even the establishment realized <clears throat> we can't keep having negative interest rates most people we were we were taught that was a little risky at school <laughs> but they still do it but that it was we're still in part of well you could go back even before oh hey you can go back to 1971 or you can go back to 1913 all this stuff is built into the system but these so these recent bankruptcies were very much related to oh eight zero rate interest and, and then now with interest rates creeping up a little bit uh, the loans that they have made, <clears throat> you know, are they're, they're not viable. And uh, there's, there was w one comment, a person that seemed to be knowledgeable, they said, all banks are insoluble, you know, they're insol insolvent. And they just go on and, and, and they do this. And it's going to be the uh, probably commercial property issue that's probably going to bring down a lot of people. Interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you about one thing in the Zero Hedge uh, article about it and see what you think about how important this is. They talk about, quote, a catastrophic supervision of Mary Daly-led SF Fed, which was more worried about rainbow flags and DEI than making sure banks were solvent. Do you think some of this woke stuff is oh, to blame? Oh, absolutely. How about, how about all, you, you have the malinvestment from low interest rates and the printing of money and all the government spending and regulation, but ESG is, it was a disaster. I had been talking to this for a few years and say, that is in addition to all the mess going on. And some of that ESG is coming home to roost. Uh -huh. and some of the companies aren't making the money but they're going to have the side of the Fed the Fed will be on their side on this but no I think absolutely all that uh, all that cultural Marxism uh -huh. is, is, is part of it because it's uh, you know everything has to be diverse you know yeah. we diversity is number one not sound economic policy but guess what it's so secret, nobody hardly knows it except libertarians, that the greatest, greatest example of diversity is individualism. Yeah. And that 
of course, is a crime. It's the people who run the show, they like individualism yeah. and they like low taxes. But no, you have to belong to a group and you have to do as you're told. And uh, if not, you'll get punished. And even, even, even the people who do well, just think of uh, the scientists and the doctors and all that took an independent position on COVID. Yeah. That's why it's so bad. And, uh, and I think the, the money issue and going back to OA, uh, is, is very much related. Well, there's not a lot of diversity in the fact that it's always the poor and middle class who take or left holding the bag. When yeah. That happens. Well, let's move on to the second story that we want to talk about, and we can go to the third clip. I think we covered those first two pretty well. This is something we noticed in Politico this morning, uh, the little-known group that's saving Ukraine. And this article, and we can actually go to the next one, this article is about the... Um, working group set up by the U.S. to coordinate. It's a monthly meeting to coordinate sending weapons to Ukraine. And here's how it opens. It's, it's held at Rammstein Air Base in Germany, still occupied by the U.S. a couple years after World War II. So they say when U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin brings together the defense chiefs of more than 40 nations here in southwest Germany each month, the hours-long gathering typically ends the same way. Celeste Wallander, the Pentagon's head of international security affairs, calls on each participant to read out what <coughs> weapons their nation is ready to donate to Ukraine. So it's a big round table. Wallander, who is another Obama neocon retread, she was in the Obama administration. Now she's got a top job with Biden doing the same thing that she did under Obama. She just calls on him, hey, what are you giving? Hey, what are you giving? Hey, what are you giving? <laughs> this seems like, to me like the craziest way to run a war well, in history. Uh, uh, that, that's for sure. It is crazy. It, you know, the, the uh, crazy thing about this is uh, it to me looks like we organize these meetings, yeah. you know, and it's it's our time to give the monthly directive. Yeah. And I think, well, where's the deep state in this? Well, the deep state is just a little deeper than this. These are the open, more open people in the deep state. And we're delivering the message and uh, probably the threats and innuendo. But there are 40 countries that roll over for that. And all I could think of was uh, I, I had to be very careful on which speeches I wanted to go hear on it, even on the House floor and, oh, and even, uh, you know, the, the uh, speeches that, uh, uh, that you know, the committee hearings, sometimes it can be pretty bad and I got to thinking what if I had had a job <laughs> on this? and I had to go to that every month I can't remember how many hours but many hours because everybody had to give a give a report but I think it was just uh, obedience training you know in the, in the banking system and, uh, and this is the crossover with the uh, uh, with the foreign policy system because this is <clears throat> keep the money flowing we will have the weapons we'll never be short of cash the banks if you have anything to do we'll, you'll get bailed out and even if you don't directly have it even if you're totally independent uh, you'll probably be canceled for broadcasting about free markets and sound money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I put together four clips to show you in a nutshell how this actually works. Now, Politico makes it look like this is some great worldwide cooperation and coordination <laughs> of the war. Well, it's not that. Um, if we can go to the next one, this is, I put this little slideshow together to tell our viewers how it actually works. Now, this is Reuters, I think a week or so ago. Slovakia hands over all 13 promised MiG fighter jets to Ukraine. I'm sure Slovakia's representative at this roundtable said, 
We were going to give 13 MiG fighter jets to Ukraine. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Slovakia. That's what Volander says. And then let's look at the next one. This is from a pro-Ukraine Twitter account. Slovakia announced it would send 13 MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine in the coming weeks, joining fellow NATO member Poland. Now, here's the important part, Dr. Paul. Slovakia's MiG-29s were retired last summer, and most are not operational. Right? <laughs> so do the next one. This is this on the same line. Poland and Slovakia donated broken fighter jets to Ukraine armed forces. <coughs> Poland and Slovakia handed over to Ukraine used MiG-29 fighters, which are unable to take off. That's called, you've just donated some targets, not some fighting jets. So what is it all about? Well, I would say, Dr. Paul, this is a huge money laundering operation and a massive grift on the part of these nations that are participating on the backs of Ukraine and with the blood of Ukrainian soldiers. And why do I say that? Let's go to the next one. Michael Tracy, uh, who, we, who we know well and who does great work, he makes a great point. Slo no, so what are they, why is Slovakia, what are they doing it for? Slovakia will receive unspecified arms from the United States worth $745 million in exchange for giving its MiG-29 fleet to Ukraine, Defense Minister Yaroslav Nod said. Duda, he's the head of Poland, said Poland's Air Force would replace its planes it gives to Ukraine with American-made F-35. So I would say, Dr. Paul, in these four slides, I'm demonstrating this massive grift. They send junky planes that can't even take off, and the U.S. hands over half a billion dollars. Well, this is insane. A couple things. They may not be too smart, and or they might have a, st a strategy which they don't want, you know, a, a victory on either side. Yeah. <laughs> and this activity goes on and on. And uh, But you could understand. Let's just assume they're making an effort but not too smart. And then you wonder why NATO's not winning the war. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, there somebody's winning some contracts and somebody's making some money. But as far as uh, conquering, uh, conquering Ukraine yeah. and uh, and kicking Russia out yeah. of their <laughs> their old homeland. <laughs> yeah. What I see this is all about optics and politics rather than war fighting because. I'm not a military expert, but I study this very closely. And, you know, the way you win wars is you have, you know, coordination. You have a, you know, multifaceted approach. You don't have a bunch of people sitting around an auction table. Okay, I'll give a couple of hand grenades. Okay, I'll throw this bullet. I mean, the whole idea, these things aren't interoperable. This is not the way that you win wars. And everyone who has any sense, even an amateur like me, knows this. So what it seems like to me, Dr. Paul, is this is unbelievably cynical. They're using Ukraine's blood to fight against Russia, and they just don't care if the last Ukrainian dies because surely someone in the Pentagon realizes this is not how you fight a war. It seems like uh, there'd be more resistance by the people there, and I don't know if there's any any resistance building in uh, in Ukraine because they're the ones who are suffering, and they keep calling up more troops, and who knows how many people have been killed because you can't believe any of the reports. Yeah. So, but it, it is a disaster. It's bad policy, and. Uh, the, the one thing you can't say, it's, it's uh, not polite if you uh, want to, uh, you know, study this and make it fair and balanced on who caused what. But if you want the information about how all this started, especially aggravated and expanded since 19, uh, 2014, yeah. and then, then we find that 
we as an American people and American government have a lot of responsibility and uh, some of the sharpest, uh, I, I made an attempt to uh, not, not uh, provoke individuals in Washington because I didn't figure I'd win <laughs> very many elections, but uh, it's, they, uh, they, they really believe this stuff and they're very sincere that, uh, you, you know, the, uh, like the effort even by some of the guys that have come our way on, as far as China goes. There is no, nobody really is allowed to talk about China. They, there are a lot of whisper about yeah. Russia, but on China, on China, you cannot possibly say anything, or you're a heathen, and <laughs> uh, you and you and you hate America. You're against the troops, and uh, and you're not for a uh, deficit. Oh, that's true. <laughs> some of some are for the deficit, but you know, in all that budget talk, I didn't see too many very. Uh, strict determination to cut back on some of that militarism. <laughs> yeah, well, the one thing we learned from these Pentagon leaks, so-called Pentagon leaks, is that the U.S. Um, Pentagon and State Department, despite what they say on TV, they believe, they, they assess that Ukraine would run out of its air defense by May. This is May 1st today. So the idea is they knew that they're running out of air defense. I followed the war pretty closely, as closely as I can, and I know that Russia is increasingly using aircraft to strike at Ukrainian targets rather than simply artillery. That means they feel confident that they have air superiority, which is according to U.S. military doctrine, that's first. You gain air superiority. So it looks like they're, they're feeling much closer uh, to having the air superiority. And in that, in that circumstance, the, everyone is talking about the F-16s. They're useless. It takes a couple of years to train a pilot unless we're going to put Americans in those planes shooting at Russians, and I think that's a pretty bad idea. <laughs> so the idea when Russians, when Russian has achieved its air superiority, the idea that you would inject F-16s or whatever, or broken MiGs into the, <laughs> into the equation is pure fantasy. It's fantasy land. So uh, it doesn't look like there's a way out, at least that way. The only bright light I would see is that the Chinese, they've already done a lot in the Middle East. They've gotten Iran and Saudi Arabia together. <laughs> they have offered, they're sending a special envoy to Ukraine to try to talk to them. So maybe there's some hope there. There's no hope in Washington, I'm afraid. But along with this, as you described, the military situation, the effort to undermine what um, uh, America's doing is uh, to make sure that we continue to lose ground on having control of the world reserve currency. Yeah. Uh, every day you'll read a story about that. Last year, the statistics were very bad for the dollar on how many people used, used uh, something other than the dollar in transactions. So that that is a, a a big deal because even with all the shenanigans going on and all the control and power you know the 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 countries that have obeyed us uh, you, you know uh, will if they think there's a chance that they need to and have to do it i think they are moving that that way and that's why every once in a while people will say you, you know that you we're here in dissent about uh, how long how long is we going to be asked to send more stuff yeah. you know to ukraine except for unfortunately there's not enough american citizens saying why are we there what are we doing yeah. what kind of a policy is this where are we going to get the money and then you go and lecture somebody else for not you know uh, spending more money yeah. <laughs> and, and they, they don't know they're no richer than we are the world is all it's so so dependent on the trust in the dollar so that they can keep monetizing 
everybody's debt in many ways. You know, if anybody gets into trouble, and certainly this weekend showed what what do you do when our banks get into trouble because of this mess? Yeah, you, you know, we uh, we find out that we have to really turn up the pr printing presses and. Uh, but but yet uh, the the trust what what I see is that it's it's they're desperate they have to trust it and maybe we can get by on this but the thing is it's all if we get by as we are I think it just means there's a greater distortion and uh, a bigger bubble and that it's that is not sustainable and that they don't want to hear about it uh, oh. No, that's why Jamie had had to come out yeah, and say, it's uh, fine. very, 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 this uh, is fine. Take care. Yeah, they, it will take care of it. <laughs> it's funny you talk about lecturing because I did find a clip, and this is thanks to Alex Cristoforo, whose podcast I listened to. He put it up. And this is J.D. Vance. This is an audio clip, Dr. Paul, so you might want to find your earpiece. I think this is a great, great little clip. I think it's about 40 seconds. We can listen to the whole thing. This is J.D. Vance, Senator J.D. Vance on the House floor. Talk about lecturing, I think he's great here. Listen to this. We have built a foreign policy of hectoring and moralizing and lecturing countries that don't want anything to do with it. The Chinese have a foreign policy of building roads and bridges and feeding poor people, and I think that we should pursue a foreign policy, a diplomacy of respect and a foreign policy that is not rooted in moralizing, it's rooted in the national interest of this country. Because Ambassador Sullivan is at the lead of moralizing instead of pursuing America's national interest, I object. Wonder wow. if he's watching our program. <laughs> That is that is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. If you, you know, it would be fascinating to have a conversation with a person like that that's actually thinking. Because I'm always curious, how did he get to this position? Yeah. Because it sounds like he believes what he just yeah, said. I think and, so. and this is one thing that people tell me: you, people know when they're hearing the truth uh, versus a politician that's saying the same words, yeah. but they're not telling the truth. But I'd be fascinated to know, you, you know, sometimes it's a grandfather, yeah. sometimes it's, it's some, a teacher, sometimes they uh, met a politician, yeah. who knows what. So it's always fascinating to me thinking that maybe if uh, you can get a hint on, on how people get to this position, it should help us in trying to spread our message. And I like what he said. We, sh we should be overseas for our own national interest, not because we want to lecture everyone. And it's just a great piece. Well, I guess the last little thing we want to go to is a vote yesterday. I think it was yesterday in the House on a resolution to withdraw from Somalia. Now, you sent it over to me, and my first thing was, oh, here we go again. Another one. <laughs> but you made a good point, which is that, yeah, behind the fact that it failed, and it failed badly, there is a silver lining in this cloud, and that's the vote. Yeah, well, I was I was annoyed at first, but uh, then then I thought, I wonder how the votes was. So Matt Gates is doing a good job. Yeah. So and he's been hit with criticisms for various reasons, but he's been pretty darn good on this issue. But uh, the the vote was 102. Uh, to 321, 102. But then I go, well, that's not too bad. I used to do it with Dennis Kucinich. We'd get a lot less, but, yeah. but we kept plodding along, plodding, plodding along. Yeah. But the neat part is, and this happened on another recent vote, we pointed out 
that the uh, opposition to the spending and all uh, was uh, done by a coalition. Yeah. So this coalition, 52 Republicans, 50 Democrats, what a source yeah. of uh, uh, building optimism about that. So these people, but how often, how often do you see anybody on uh, Main Street media yeah. Putting two of these person from my how do you guys talk to each other? Yeah. Yeah. What, what's in? And they would be. You could actually make it interesting. <laughs> you know about why these these uh, individuals come around to this agreement. So, but you know what? It's the 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 wakening up of uh, conservative and constitutionalists versus the. Uh, uh, the, the the failure of the progressives right now, and people are noticing this, and they're frustrated. So they're they're coming out, <clears throat> and they, the Democratic Party's not progressive in a good sense, and so they they have been talking to each other. So they they should definitely be encouraged. I wish I could do more for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the message here, and it was you know very very evident when you and Dennis Kucinich were doing this thing, is that sometimes you can win by losing in a way, you know, and these hundred and some members pretty much evenly split. That's good news. Now, if I, if they would listen to me, you know, I'm sure they won't. But the best thing for this to move it forward would be to don't be making these votes for partisan reasons. Don't go down to the floor and be partisan. Just talk about the issues so that you can grow. So, you know, one of the reasons, one of the things that we did when you had your Thursday lunches is to make a comfortable setting where people could say what they felt and not worry about recriminations, you know. So if they could do that with this group of a hundred and some people and just build on it, build on it, and build on it, you might really have something there. You know, the other thing I think that helped our luncheon was the fact that uh, we didn't announce and didn't say it, but they everybody knew how it was run. There was nobody from the press there. <laughs> so they, oh, I heard him say that, and now I'm going to, I'm going to destroy him because he said something that is just not politically correct. And and everybody, uh, you you know, gave their real opinions, and they would ask honest questions with our special guests. So yes, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Well, I'm going to close out, Dr. Paul. If you could put on my last clip by reminding it's May 1st, it's May Day. That means we have just over a month before we're going to get together in Houston. They lie. Nihilism in the War on Truth is our Houston conference. It is on June 3rd. I will put a link when the show's over in the description to get your tickets and join us and a great group of people to discuss a lot of things you've been talking about for a while, Dr. Paul. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And we hope to see you there. Back Very to you, good. Dr. Paul. And I, too, want to extend the invitation to get as many people to come to our conference uh, in, in June. And I'm looking forward to it because I always find it uh, worthwhile. I always learn a lot from the other speakers. And actually, I like to talk to the people. And I'm always fascinated. How do you arrive at these positions? And uh, a lot of times they'll ask me that question, too. And uh, some of the stories are really pretty neat about how they do it. But I'm really fascinated when uh, somebody will be like, you know, a college student or something, or even a little older. I, I can't believe I've been doing this for this long. And they say, oh, I watched, uh, I, I watched what you were doing in, in 2007 when he was 14 years old. And he heard some stuff about, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve. So uh, th that always encouraged me to talk to young people and give them more credit than they get. Uh, because it, it seems like their minds are more open, and it has to be interested, interesting and important. And uh, that should be our goal, and we certainly want to appeal.
appeal to those individuals. And uh, uh, as many people know, we have a lot of young people coming to our, our seminars. So that, that to me is very encouraging too. And uh, besides, ideas uh, have consequences. Just total numbers are important when you want a, a prevailing attitude for people to understand why sound money is good and the First Amendment is good. But uh, it's still good to have a few people there in leadership position and understand philosophically and morally why we should move in the direction of greater amount of liberty for all of us. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.